Our scripture reading this evening is Psalm 94. In our study of the Heidelberg Catechism, we continue now in the section that's working through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We come to the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. One of the things that our catechism's explanation of the Lord's Prayer does is it pulls into, or or it doesn't pull in because it's always been there, but it affirms in the midst of the life of the church the use of a psalm like Psalm 94. A psalm praying for God to bring judgment upon evil. I think many of you know this is often a debated thing. These are called the imprecatory psalms, praying for God's judgments, and it's often debated whether or not these belong in the New Testament church. As a Reformed church, we have, Reformed churches have always affirmed that they do belong, but then there's still often some discomfort, misunderstanding, confusion. What does it mean to pray something like this? So, This evening, we're going to be seeing that our catechism's answer about the second petition helps us answer this question. Psalm 94 is just one example. Psalm 82 that we sung earlier was one. Psalm 2 we sang this morning. All right, Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart were many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we gather together around your word, our desire is for it to be fruitful in our midst. This is not something we can control or make happen by our own efforts, and so we pray for your Holy Spirit's work, overcoming our own weakness, that which would resist your word, illuminating your word that we might understand it rightly, and allowing us, causing us to respond in faith to what you have spoken to us. 
We desire the life that you promise to give us in Christ. And so we ask you to use this as a means of, of giving that, us that good way of following him. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism this evening is Lord's Day 48. We'll read this question and answer responsively. God speaks through his word. This is our confession of faith in response to God's word. What does the second petition mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. I want to check the indenting of this in the older printing of the catechism to make sure what I'm about to say is true. All right. If you have a pen, looking at the catechism's answer, there are three distinct parts of what our catechism is saying is, our, is, is the meaning of this petition, your kingdom come. And it's those three parts that structure the outline for our lesson this evening. So, After the first sentence, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. That's a definite section. You can mark that somehow. And then the next two sentences, preserve and increase your church and destroy the devil's work. That's the second section we're looking at, down through against your holy word. And then there could be a break there. And then the orientation to the future. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. I'm going to try to remember when there's times where we have room in the bulletin even to make sure it's printed in there in a way that shows the indenting. I do think it's often helpful uh, to interpret it. All right. As you can see, I hope even when we break up the answer in sections, this prayer is going to be orienting us toward very big things. The church, the universal church, the war against the devil and evil, the coming of the kingdom in the future. And so I want to make sure we do appreciate, number one on your outline, that this is a personal prayer. This prayer reminds us that the kingdom is a present reality and that we personally participated in it in the here and now. What is the petition? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Speaking of the kingdom, seems like it's first of all very big things, but our catechism tells us that actually this is first of all about God's working in our own lives. The answer in our catechism, your kingdom come, means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Now to appreciate this, you first have to make it sound a little bit strange. The words, your kingdom come, suggest that it's not here and that we're waiting for it to come in the future. Why then does the catechism say it's about God ruling over us now in the present? Well, because, letter A, Jesus clearly announced the presence of the kingdom throughout his public ministry. 
Jesus made it very clear that the fact that he was there meant that the kingdom Israel was waiting for had come into the world. Israel's promised future, what Israel was longing for, was already happening in Jesus. This is one of the pervasive themes of his ministry. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, Matthew 28, we read this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He tells his disciples that as they are to do the work of making disciples, the mission of the church, baptizing, they're doing it confident that Jesus already has all authority. And notice very clearly, he says all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, many of you know, perhaps because of backgrounds you come from, or even just theology you'll you know, hear on the radio or the internet or something, that there is a long tradition in American Christianity of, of speaking as though the kingdom of God is merely in the future, only in the future. And so we need to remember these themes in the Gospels, that Jesus brought the kingdom, that God reigns over all now, and that that time that Israel was looking forward to of the nations coming in, of the gospel going forth, is happening now. It is a present reality. When Jesus teaches us to pray, then, your kingdom come, what he means is for that to be more and more. What he means is for that to be a a, a reality that is worked out more and more in our lives. This is very much the way the Apostle Paul spoke in our text from Ephesians. It's a reality, the unity of the church, something we are then to live out of. Same thing for the kingdom. The kingdom has come definitively, and because it has come, we then are called to live more and more as part of it. This is the language of our catechism. Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Letter B. Living as citizens of God's kingdom affects every area of life. This is embedded just within the language of kingdom. The kingdom speaks of all of reality. It's the kingdom of the creator, the one who created all things and is restoring the life of that creation. And this is what our catechism is saying, that when we pray this, it's about our lives, our individual lives, our personal lives submitting to that kingdom. Submitting to the Lord, living according to his word, governed by his spirit. And that affects everything. This is one of the reasons the Reformed tradition in particular loves to emphasize the language of kingdom. It is that emphasis on the goodness of the creation and therefore all of life uh, uh, being in submission to God and to his kingdom. Before we move on, and I, I do want to move on here to the bigness, the cosmic prayer, but... I want to remind us of two things in connection with this. And these aren't on your outline. We're still under letter B here. Two things in connection with this. First, that ought to encourage us that Jesus tells us to pray this. One of the ways you can know for sure that God intends to give you a certain answer to a prayer is when he tells you to pray for something. He's saying, look, ask for it. I I want you to ask for it. It's a good thing to ask for it. God is saying it's something he wants to give you and that one of the means by which he gives it to you is you praying for it. Well, what is that thing our catechism is telling us that is embedded within that thing Jesus tells us to pray for? It's that we would more and more live by God's word and by his spirit. Brothers and sisters, every last one of us has something in our lives where that's what we need. Every last one of us has something 
that maybe not in an acute form at this moment, but for most of us, I think we do, where it frightens us the way we are able to live contrary to God's word. It frightens us the way we're able to be tempted by sin, to fall into sin. It is scary the way the ways in which we sin hurt our relationships and those who are dear to us. It is good news that Jesus gives you this prayer and says, by giving you this prayer, one of the things he intends to do is to free you from that more and more. One of the things he intends to do is to give you his spirit more and more so that you are called to pray this by faith with confidence that he will answer it. No, not always in the way we want, not always on the timeline we want. We know all those qualifiers. But what I want to emphasize here is that when you have that thing in your life where sin is what is in the way, and you're aware of it, and you're fighting it, pray your kingdom come with the confidence that God intends for that to be played out, to be fleshed out, to be experienced in your personal life. Second thing about that, first one I want to be encouraging. The second is this. When I say that, that the kingdom affects every area of life, I intend to, as a pastor, as a minister, say that in a way that affirms your use of wisdom in every area of life. There is a temptation, a very real temptation in Reformed churches, that when a minister says this affects every area of life, to then want to start micromanaging everything. To tell, okay, now I have the answers for every area. Here's how you're going to solve marriage. Here's how you're going to solve parenting. Here's how you should be engaged as a citizen with politics. And I'm going to give you the answers for all of it. That's not what this means. The kingdom affects every area of life, but in a way that seeks to cultivate wisdom within us. And so it's very often not in the way of God's word answering every single question, but it's in the way of the spirit enabling us to grow, causing us to grow. And so I want to warn you against many voices out there, often in reformed circles, that their allure, their appeal, is the claim to be answering everything, to give you the program, to give you the step-by-step how you can solve every area of life. That is, that is not what this means. That all of us are called to live as, as Christians, and all of us are called to grow in wisdom. And while that affects every area of life, it's often in a way that, that, that is, is difficult, is challenging as we seek to grow in being wise. All right, the main point for all of that is that this is a personal prayer about God's kingdom enabling us to submit to him, to honor him in all of our living. Number two, it is also a cosmic prayer. I love the word cosmic a worldwide prayer, an all-of-reality prayer, an all-of-creation prayer. By giving us this prayer, Jesus teaches us to broaden our horizons, challenging us to pray about things bigger than our individual selves. And I'm going to go to this prayer affects how we, I'm going to give you those three blanks in a moment, but I want to go to the language of the catechism. This is the Lord's prayer, right? It's the a particular prayer given to us by Jesus to say. And what the catechism is telling us is that in the petition, this is what Jesus is telling us to pray. The middle section. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. 
Brothers and sisters, this should challenge us, confront us, convict us. Our prayers are so often so small, so zoomed in on just our individual experiences. And here our catechism is telling us that the prayer Jesus gives us broadens out so that in our praying we ought to use the language, destroy every force which revolts against you. How many of you prayed that way this past week? Right? Let us be challenged by these words. It's the Lord's Prayer. Let us be challenged by these words. This ought to affect letter A, how we think. Let's start here. This ought to affect how we think. What do those words of the Catechism alert us to? But that there is a real spiritual cosmic war going on. We think of Ephesians 6. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil and darkness in the world. And the Catechism is telling us that that petition of the Lord's Prayer is alerting us to that reality. To think in that way. To think not just in terms of our individual experience, but in terms of a much bigger story of God in Christ by His Spirit through His kingdom making war against the presence of evil in the world. And that prayer is our entering into that. Alongside that, positively, preserve and increase your church. So to be thinking in terms of those terms that that is what God is doing and our prayer ought to be an entering in to that. I'm skipping ahead here to see. So A is think, how we think. Letter B, it ought to affect how we sing. Now we just sang uh Psalm 82 at the beginning of our service. We sang Psalm 2 this morning. Our scripture reading was Psalm 94 Mighty Lord, the God of vengeance, Psalm 94a. We've sung it many times. It's one we enjoy singing together. All of these are psalms in which God teaches his people to pray for the destruction of evil, to pray against their enemies in various ways. As I said a moment ago, this is something that's often controversial or uncomfortable in the Christian church. How does this fit? And I was struck, I think for the first time, I think for the first time, by how the catechism's language here really is the language of those psalms. How the catechism's language here for how we pray when we say, your kingdom come, really is the language of a psalm like Psalm 94. Again, what's the language of the catechism? Destroy the devil's work, destroy every force which revolts against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Psalm 94, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. The catechism is pulling forward, affirming in the midst of Christian prayer that sort of language of praying for God to judge evil. Now, be careful. Our temptation is always want to to identify that with particular people particular causes, a particular situation, a particular disagreement. And so we must remember what Ephesians 6 says, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against particular humans or causes, but is rather a prayer acknowledging that God alone knows what is truly evil. God alone knows how to set things right, and we are praying for God to act to do that. We're going to get into the nuance of that in a moment, but here is the point. This ought to affect how we sing. And it is a grievous error. It is a great danger that the Christian church today does not sing all of the Psalms. 
that the Christian church today does not bring into her worship this sort of language, this way of speaking. And our catechism is, I think, beautifully, again, in a way that I think I'm being struck by in a unique way right now, that the catechism is, in the middle of it, bringing forward that way of speaking. Your kingdom come means defeat evil. And finally, let us see that should affect how we pray. All right, there's this theological level of how we think, of being aware of that cosmic struggle against evil, affecting how we sing, having in view Lord's Day worship. Well, then the way we sing and pray on the Lord's Day ought to form how we pray through the week. And so it's a simple point here, simply that in our praying as families, as individuals, it ought to reflect how Jesus taught us to pray. And part of how Jesus taught us to pray is your kingdom come. And so we ought to be careful to make sure our prayers include an orientation toward broader kingdom matters, toward the church universal, toward praying for God to set all things right as he judges evil. Those sorts of themes ought to be present. Number three. So first is a personal prayer, second a cosmic prayer, third it is a hopeful prayer. While this prayer orients us to things that are difficult and challenging, it does so in a way that is profoundly hopeful because of God's promises. What do I mean by difficult and challenging? My, my assumption here is that simply the language of Psalm 94, or simply the language of emphasizing the reality of spiritual darkness and evil, is not the most positive topic to be talking about. But notice how the tone of the catechism, not just what it says, but the way it says it, is fundamentally hopeful. That Remember what I said earlier about when we pray this about God's kingdom affecting our individual lives, that gives us a hope, confidence in our fight against sin. Likewise, for the cosmic prayer. That Jesus taught us to pray this. He intends to answer it. And so the catechism says... Do all this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. Letter A. While the kingdom is a definite present reality, it also awaits a future fulfillment. And Jesus is teaching us to pray and think and feel and live in a way that is confident in that future. What Israel expected as a single event, the coming of the kingdom, is actually a two-phase thing because of the mission of the church and the gospel going to the nations. So Jesus came in his death and resurrection. He brought the kingdom, and when he returns, he will bring the kingdom in all of its fullness. It is already here, but not yet completely fulfilled. It is already present, but not yet in all the perfection that it will one day be when Christ returns. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the places that most beautifully uh, locates us in that reality. 1 Corinthians 15, definitively celebrating Christ's defeat of death and his resurrection, but also speaking of a future fullness of that defeat. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then in verse 28, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, that God may be all in all. We're quoting that one there because that's Uh, where the catechism is getting its language, is from that verse. And so while there are very difficult things we pray about with that prayer, the reality of sin in our lives, the reality of evil in the world, it is a prayer that is confident that as we pray it, God is in some mysterious way indeed using our prayers to bring about what we are praying for. 
that he is in some mysterious way having given us the prayer, acting to answer it as he acts in the world and will one day, when Christ returns, uh, perfect his kingdom. Letter B. Indeed, this prayer ought to shape the church's witness in the world. And the word indeed there hooking with letter A is the reference to confidence in letter A. That our witness in the world, our posture as the church, should reflect that this prayer is our prayer. That God is the one who is bringing the kingdom, who has brought it and who will bring it. Think, for example, the language of Revelation 8, which we looked at in our time in um, Revelation last year. Revelation 8, the prayers of the saints ascend before God's throne in heaven. They are mixed with incense before God's throne, giving us confidence that the prayer is being heard. And then in a way that suggests quite directly the response to that prayer, God then pours out judgments on the world. And the image, the promise of that is that when we pray your kingdom come, God is acting in the world. That his kingdom is present and it will be successful. It will be fruitful. It is unstoppably present in the world and that that prayer is answered. Now there's a kind of confidence to that, a boldness to that in the church's prayer, the church's witness. But it is a boldness that also humbles us. Because one of the things we are saying when we say your kingdom come is we're asking God to decenter, to push to the side our kingdoms. We're asking God to decenter, to push to the side how we think the kingdom should be. We're asking God to do it his way, not our way. And one of the besetting sins of conservative Christians in North America is to have all sorts of ideas about how this should happen. All sorts of ideas about how we're going to make America better, how we're going to make civilization better. All sorts of very specific ideas of how we want to engage and act and make things happen. And that prayer, your kingdom come, while it affects every area of life, does so in ways that challenge our ideas about how that should go. It is a humble prayer in which we say to the Lord, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to set things right. I cannot definitively say how things even should be. And I'm humbly praying for the Lord to bring his kingdom. This protects us from our prideful attempts at bringing in the kingdom. And I want to connect this with our time in Ephesians this morning. This prayer makes possible our unity and fellowship in the church. Because one of the things our community, people around us, within us, are constantly at war over is how can we make things better, right? How should things be politically, culturally, economically? And since our culture is constantly in conflict over those things, we are tempted to be because the church ought to be the place where people with very different sensibilities come together in following the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very different ideas for how these things should play out in society and in the community. And we say, how is it even possible then where there's so much conflict over that? How is it possible for people with very different ideas to be in fellowship together? Well, one of the main ways is this prayer that each of us acknowledges we don't have the answers. Each of us acknowledges we need God to be the one who is bringing the kingdom. 
and we humbly confess with that prayer that we don't have the program, that we don't have all the answers to how that should go. Now, there are many who would say that what I'm trying to describe here means we all just sit around and do nothing. And so I would refer you to point 1B. Living as citizens of God's kingdom affects every area of life. But remember, not with a micromanaged program where every little detail is solved for us. Rather, letter C, sorry, now we're back to 3C. That was confusing. 3C, God's answer to this prayer transforms our living, but often in surprising and unexpected ways. Do not pray for God to defeat evil with your idea of how that is supposed to look, right? We ought to pray it confident that it may surprise us. We ought to pray it expecting that God's ways are perfect in a way ours are not. His wisdom, his love is good in a way that ours is not. We ought to make that prayer expecting him to change how we live in every area of life. But again, maybe not in the way we were looking for, not in the way we were expecting. We ought to be open to the very thing praying your kingdom comes uh, confronting is the grasping after power and influence in the world. And that one of the things the coming of that kingdom will do is create a different way of being human, a different way of living as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, One writer that I recently encountered this uh, reference talking about the Lord's Prayer, he argues that the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is an attack, a polemic against the powers in the world. And it is the announcement that power and glory, these things ultimately only belong to the Lord over against all of those competing powers. And so, and again, what is the point there? The prayer is humbling. That we are acknowledging that it does not belong to us, that we do not have it figured out. And we pray for God to bring the kingdom That is, leading to a life of loving others, of serving others, a life of unity in the church of Jesus Christ that shows the world how we can be united, that all of these things, as humble and small as they often look, are the way in which God's kingdom comes. A little bit later, we're going to read, we're going to sing, lead on, O King Eternal. It has beautiful phrases in emphasizing this, that God's kingdom does not come in the way of the kingdoms of the world, that it is different, that it unseats all of them, that it decenters all of them, that it decenters our ideas of how those things should go and gives us the life of loving and serving others. Letter D, quoting from James, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why that verse then? But what I want to suggest is we ought to be open to one of the ways God's kingdom comes is in his giving us precisely that life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray for the coming of your kingdom. We pray as we seek to fight against sin in our lives, as we are often frightened by the consequences of sin, that you would enable us by your word and spirit to submit more and more to you. 
We pray for the increase of your church, for your warring against evil and defeating evil as you have promised. And we pray that you would do this until your kingdom is complete and perfect, until we know that perfect fellowship that you have promised with you and with each other in Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.